0: From the Nevada Independent, this is On The Trail. I'm Jacob Solis. Today, a little bonus episode of On The Trail. Every election we like to record a live streamed Q&A where we work through what just happened and what might happen next. You're gonna hear that live stream for the 2024 primary caucus mega election week, a 40 minute discussion that we recorded on Friday morning just after the caucus reporters Sean Galonka, Tabitha Mueller, Eric Nugaborn, and Nevada Independent CEO and editor John Ralston join me to break it all down. All right, I think we are live. So welcome to our little post-election live stream. This is a tradition at the Nevada Independent where we digest and analyze what happened on election day and what comes next. But first, a few introductions. Sean Galanka is a politics and data reporter for the Nevada Independent where he's helped cover some of the twists and turns of the primary caucus chaos and the race for the US Senate. How are you, Sean? I am doing well. I was not at any caucus sites last night, Jacob, so probably doing better than most. <laughs> it's true. It's true. The wonders it'll do for your your mental health. Tabitha Mueller, she was at caucus sites last night, and she wears many hats at the Indy, among them politics, state government, and healthcare. care, uh, with a extra smidge of uh, being on the ground, like I said. So, Tabitha, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. It was a late night last night. So hopefully oh, yeah. uh, I don't stumble over my words today.
0: And we will dig into that. Uh, Eric Nugaborn, you are also on the ground this week. You are also a reporter of many hats. You help us cover politics and elections and data stuff. So thanks for being here, Eric. Thanks for having me, Jacob. All right, and the man who needs no introduction, John Ralston, is the CEO, founder, and editor of the Nevada Independent, a man of many opinions. How are you, John?
2: I am here to just have a a scratchy and screechy voice to contrast with your beautiful voice, Jacob. It's the only reason <laughs> I was uh, invited. But uh, seriously, it's great to see all of you, and I hope uh, if anyone who's watching uh, or, or listening doesn't get their questions answered they can come to craft in reno tonight at 5 30 brian dugan from k and r and i will be there and it's another ask us anything event uh we're in a partnership now as you all know with k and r and this is the kickoff event so craft at 5 30 in reno
0: yes if you cannot get enough live nevada independent content we are here to give it to you okay so All that out of the way, uh, I'm your host, Jacob Solis. I guess I should introduce myself. I also cover politics and elections. And as you may have guessed, I have been keeping tabs on the race for president. And so just to let everyone know, if you're in the audience right now, if you have questions for us, put those questions in the chat or send them to us on Twitter, X, whatever you wanna call it, and we'll do our best to answer. Um, But for now, I I just want to kick things off with you, John, um, because I think a lot of time and energy was spent this week talking about how much of a mess this was going to be with the primary, with the caucus, just this whole week. So how much did this week actually live up to those predictions? Where do you say we actually
2: fell? Um, I think we fell somewhere in the spectrum between being totally dismissed and totally mocked. And none, none, none of that was good for us, I don't think. And, you know, Jacob, the confusion was real. I, I mean, people were really confused. And I'm, I'm not just talking about national media reporters or anchors on CNN or MSNBC. I'm talking about people here, people who went to the caucus. And then some of the folks here can have, tell you firsthand stories uh, about that. Uh, But people here were were, did not understand this process, the genesis of this process, why there had to be two Republican uh, uh, elections, and you know, uh, some people in the state worked very, very hard for us to be taken seriously which has been a struggle because Iowa and New Hampshire have traditionally been part of uh, the 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 early state matrix. And we've only been there for, for uh, you know, uh, 15, 16 years now. And so uh, this really hurt our already limited credibility, I think, in the minds of people outside of Nevada who watch this stuff.
0: Hmm. Well, let's get into some of the confusion, because I think uh, we'll start with you, Tabitha. Um, but Eric, too, you can jump in on this. I mean, When you were talking to voters, I think let's start with the primary, right, because this was, I think, for Republicans, especially one of the the genesis of maybe the confusion. Um, Tabitha, what did voters say to you when they went to the polls and didn't see Donald Trump's name?
1: I think we had some voters who were definitely confused, right? They they were like, "Well, isn't there a primary?" Some voters didn't know that there was a caucus that was actually happening on Thursday. And um, actually, Janelle, uh, one of our reporters down in Las Vegas, she was at a caucus site where the report where the person showed up to vote, saw Donald Trump wasn't at the wasn't on the ballot, and just walked away and said, "Well, I guess I'll caucus, but I'm not going to vote at all." Um, other folks, I think, said this process was confusing and very frustrating, and they didn't. One person used the word, you know, none of the use the phrase, none of these candidates seemed worthwhile to him. So he marked none of these candidates on the ballot, and then was kind of like, it's confusing and frustrating, but I guess I don't have a choice, right? And 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 across the board, I think even at the caucus site on Thursday we had people who were there who were like yep I am here because this is what the party has said it is this is how it, the party is working now other folks did really like the idea of the caucus because they were fans of the, the voter ID requirements that the caucus implemented um but I don't but I think that was more about a process thing versus just coming into caucus for the sake of caucusing
0: hmm. but that yeah, had okay. less
1: to do with the concurrent election processes
0: gotcha gotcha yeah and i guess eric looking at what was happening in las vegas did you get the sense from caucus goers that when they were showing up that they were like mad about the primary caucus thing or like did they were they confused i guess like what for for the caucus goer who actually showed up on thursday what was going through their mind
3: yeah i would say it was kind of a mixed bag um there were people one woman i spoke with who was a caucus goer said that she threw out her primary ballot when she saw that Donald Trump wasn't on it um another person said they preferred the primary um and voted for none of these candidates um as a show of defiance against um Nikki Haley so i think i think it was a mixed bag um i mean similar to what tabitha saw up north, um, primary voters um, who voted for none of the above were were still really confused. They didn't really, I talked to a couple people who voted for none of these candidates, and they didn't know why Trump wasn't on the ballot. They didn't know why uh, there were two elections. Um, so I think even for people that participated in either one of the contests, the confusion was very real.
0: Well, we'll get to the two elections thing in a second, but Sean, I want to come to you because you have been uh, a turnout wizard. You have been crunching the numbers. uh, And I guess just just to start, if we were to compare this election cycle to past election cycles, understanding that we've had a caucus forever, now we finally switched to the primary and a caucus, I guess, um, where does this year fall historically? Well, I love the new nickname, Jacob. Thank you. Uh,
4: the You're turnout welcome. wizard is great. Um, but I think, you know, looking at turnout across the primaries in the caucus, I think this was a, a fairly robust year for turnout. Um, I think comparisons to the past are are hard in this election year because of how many changes there have been. Um, you know, obviously, if we're just sticking to the caucus, which has, I think, the most direct comparison to years past, even if, um, as John says, it wasn't really a caucus you know you could vote and leave you didn't have to stay and and you know be in meetings to kind of make your your argument for why you're backing a candidate um but turnout in in the republican caucus this year was about sixty thousand. um which despite what what trump said was not a record-setting caucus um the record was actually in the 2016 caucus which he was in so um you know maybe he should have remembered that but we have some presidents with memory issues, it seems. Um, and the, the 2016 yeah. caucus record was 75,000. So mm. um, it was it was a bit behind that. And then, you know, just looking at the primaries, turnout in the Republican primary was about 80,000. In the Democratic primary, it was about 134,000 at last count. And so both of those were um, record amounts, you know, in terms of compared to caucuses, past caucuses. Um, But, you know, like I said, the comparisons are hard because those primaries had male voting, they had early voting, Um, you know, there were more than 1.1 million male ballots sent out for the primaries, and a lot of those did not get used, but, you know, enough of them were used to help drive this record turnout. And so, um, yeah, like I said, Jacob, I think the comparisons were hard, but certainly a, a robust year for turnout considering I think the lack of competition in these races.
0: Yeah, I guess just for like, generally speaking caucuses have lower turnout than primaries because it's just harder to caucus, like physically than it is to vote in a primary. Um, That being said, we've had like lower turnout caucuses so it wasn't like the bottom of the barrel, even considering like john said right this being sort of the somewhere between meaningless or, or a joke or what have you so. Actually, let's get to you, John, because something I want to ask about is the sort of consequence of what the Nevada GOP did, sort of assuming that everyone is up to speed on how we got here. I'm curious on your read on whether or not the state GOP sort of looks bad in the eyes of the national GOP or the Trump campaign, that they've sort of lost an amount of favor that they might have had before all of this mess.
2: Well, I, I mean, I think that the Nevada Republican Party, Jacob, has been seen in, in, in by the national folks as uh, a necessary evil, uh, something that they have to deal with, led by a guy in Michael McDonald, uh, who, uh, you know, he, he is he's an open Trump supporter. He tried to claim neutrality early in this thing and then essentially came out and urged people to caucus for Trump. Um, and so. You know, listen. There, there are other state parties with problems, but to to think that a guy like Michael McDonald, uh, who has presided over this absolutely disastrous run for the Republicans in this state, with maybe one glitch since two thousand and eight, and I think he got in two thousand and twelve, but 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 I may I may be wrong about that, but. You know, if you're a CEO like that, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, now that I'm an expert in CEOs, uh, you're going to you're going to probably have your board fire you. But that's not what happens here. You have the central committee, which is just a few hundred people that if you can keep them in your thrall, they will keep voting for you. And so, um, listen, uh, uh, McDonald is not liked by a lot of people in the so-called establishment Republican Party. That's been true for a long, long time. Uh, and there are other I mean, he he plays the politics of subtraction, and that's not going to change. But if Trump were to win uh, the election, I assure you, he's going to continue to be there for a while.
0: Oh, yeah. All right. So now we're starting to get some listener questions. So We're going to bounce to those. Uh, the first one we got is, uh, and I quote here, I know we aren't supposed to read too much into what the numbers say about November, but I'm curious if you all were surprised with how close the Dem primary turnout was to the GOP caucus primary combined. So I, uh, back to the turnout wizard, Sean, I guess, what do we make of the fact that if you if the, the, the two GOP contests were relatively close to Dem turnout, what, what, what do we take away from that?
4: Well, to the listener, I guess I would first, you know, say stick to your initial instinct, which is don't read into November based on these turnout numbers. Um, But with that in mind, I think, you know, the totals make sense to me. Democrats in Nevada prefer male voting more than Republicans do. So it makes sense, I think, just, you know, looking at the voting methods that more Democrats would turn out in an election. Um, there are more registered Democrats in Nevada. So it makes sense that they they have a higher turnout as well. Um, And I think, you know, kind of with everything that we're talking about, the split contest here, it makes sense that some of the confusion, the, the dueling elections would you know, kind of reduce and limit turnout on the Republican side, whereas on the Democratic side, it was as simple as, you know, you're a Democratic voter, you're getting a mail ballot, let's pump up the support for Joe Biden and, you know, show support for the person who's going to be the nominee. I think it was a little bit of a a simpler calculus on that side for Democratic Party just to say, um, you know, this is kind of the plan, this is um, what we want our, our base to do to show support for the president. Whereas you know things were just so messy on the Republican side, I think it turned a lot of people off from you know participating in the process in any way, Um, and you know just on the whole, I think as we've been talking about, these are are lower turnout affairs generally. Um, You know, looking at past caucuses, primaries, even in other states, um, this is a, a single you know single race election basically. So there's less for people to really engage with on the ballot, and so there's a lot of reasons I think why turnout is lower in these elections, and why it's harder to base any type of
0: conclusions off of those turnout numbers. This is why I call you the wizard, Sean. Okay, moving on to the next question. Um, quote, I understand the GOP didn't want to go with the state-run primary, but is there a reason the Republicans went with their own caucus instead of just a different primary? Tabitha, you were, tr- well, I remember this last year because I was, I was trying to help out. We were trying to cover the Republican state meeting last year when they decided to go for a caucus. So I guess just to start, what is it about the caucus in particular that Republicans decided they want to go with it? What was their explanation?
1: So, when I talked with Michael McDonald about this, and they didn't let I'm going to add a caveat here. They did not let press at the actual where they made the decision. They didn't let us in the room. They called press afterward to inform us of what the what the vote had been. Michael McDonald said that he felt that this was a better way for candidates to engage directly with voters, that it would create a more transparent process, and that they would be able to implement things like voter ID requirements that they felt were important as part of voting, right? So, so I think that that was the reasoning that the GOP gave. And I do want to note, I know that we've drummed this in before, but it's really important that this state-run primary was already set to happen because of a 2021 law that went into effect, right? And, and so it was not that we've heard a bunch of rumors and conspiracy theories um I just want to clarify that the state run primary was set to happen and then the Republican party here decided to have a caucus to determine the delegates.
0: Yeah, the the sort of like talking point of like oh the Dems would say Trump forgot to file for the primary as if one could do such a thing. Um so uh, here here's a question Eric that you might be able to answer or we'll see because quote did did you guys see or hear from any ryan binkley supporters he was the other guy on the republican ballot who not named donald trump he had less than one percent of the vote i think all counted finishing that question which would love to hear if they wanted to speak given the overwhelming trump support so eric did you find a ryan binkley supporter in the wild
3: i regret to inform you jacob i did not find a ryan binkley supporter in the wild i know you are our de facto Ryan Binkley advocate and 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 advocate, reporter no, just just that's my beat it's my <laughs> um and um i mean i was looking at the the latest data um from Clark county and there were um on, uh, according to the new york times there was 196 votes for ryan binkley compared to nearly 30,000 for donald trump um so They, they, they're, they would, they would have been hard to find and they certainly were hard to find everyone. A lot of people I saw were in Trump memorabilia. um, And um, so yeah, I, I, I unfortunately came up empty.
0: Yeah, we know the needle is in the haystack somewhere, but finding it is the hard part. Uh, I guess just to check Tabitha, did you find any Ryan Binkley supporters?
1: I, so at the caucus site that I was at, there were actually 10 votes for Ryan Binkley. However, I did not find anybody who would willingly talk to me, who would willingly talk to me about that candidate. I did have somebody though make a joke about who is Binky, um, which I thought was kind of wild. And and, and that was not the only one that I heard that night. Um, And actually the no votes or people that had made a mistake on their ballot or listed a candidate that wasn't Donald Trump or Ryan Binkley, they actually beat out the Binkley voters. So
0: this is reminiscent of Marianne Williamson losing to none of these candidates in the Democratic primary this year, perhaps. All right, so let's kick it back to you, John. Here's another listener question. Uh, Quote, there's been a lot of talk about them rigging the caucus for Trump, them being Republicans, this year. But in 2020, they just canceled the caucus entirely to give the delegates to Trump. Was that more typical because he was the incumbent at that point? I guess the question being here, why not just cancel the caucus for if they want Trump to win?
2: Well, it it was because he was an incumbent in 2020. And... But the motivation was similar, Jacob, in the sense that they didn't want him to be embarrassed at all. They just wanted to say Trump won. Trump, Trump, Trump is our God. Uh, we don't. We don't. We 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 are not going to brook any dissent. This year, I think they 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 anticipated maybe that there would be some candidates still left in the race by the time Nevada came around, especially Ron DeSantis who, you know, was run one of the worst campaigns in history. But I don't think anyone uh, anticipated that he had $200 million in a super PAC, which is why it's not coincidental that one of the rules they put in, and, and you guys know the language better than I do, essentially that a super PAC couldn't try to influence voters for the caucus. And that was directly to try to hurt DeSantis. So, uh, you know, if you're going to rig something, at least don't be so clumsy uh, uh, about it so 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 we can see it. So clearly, and they, and and they 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 made can- candidates pay fifty five thousand dollars and agree not to be on the primary ballot, uh, and, and so uh, the the motivation was the same. The methods were a little different because they did this so long ago. I think they anticipated that 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 especially DeSantis would still be uh, in in the race, and so I think that's why that happened. If I can just real quickly, Jacob, share a great historical note Uh, that you you guys weren't around for this, but in 2015, the Republican National Committee wanted to switch uh, Nevada to a primary, Uh, but uh, uh, Harry Reid and others at that time still wanted a caucus Michael McDonald was seen by a lot of people in the legislature. He was up there as a double agent that he was he was trying to kill the 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 the, the move to a primary. Um, and and the RNC was furious and right before the vote, I got I got an email from someone at the RNC, someone high up in the RNC showing me that they had forced McDonald to tweet I support the primary because it's greater turnout, or or whatever it said. So there have always been these machinations uh, uh, around this, but you know you, you can't stop Michael McDonald from doing what Michael McDonald wants to do.
0: Absolutely incredible historical tidbit, and I guess it's uh, reminiscent too of because when Nevada finally switched to the primary in twenty one. The Republicans were hopping mad because it was all part of moving Nevada and South Carolina up the calendar, Iowa, New Hampshire down, as good as that worked this year, we saw. Uh, another question just came in, uh, quote, I know many Republicans who voted in both the primary and the caucus. So this one for you, Sean, how, wait, no, how, how can you add the two turnouts together? I guess just to explain. Because this, I think, goes back to the previous question we got. Can you really add the turnouts together? No, right? Because there's there's nothing stopping someone from voting in both contests, so we expect a lot of crossover from one to the other.
4: Right. Yeah, I'm sure there certainly was a, a lot of crossover just because, um, you know, these are contests where a lot of highly engaged partisans are are you know, participating in them. So a lot of folks who are, you know, engaged enough to participate in a primary are also going to be engaged enough to participate in the caucus. I think that's, you know, part of the reason none of these candidates beat Nikki Haley is because there were so many, you know, Trump supporters who probably caucus for Trump that when they voted in the primary, they voted for none of these candidates to, um, you know, kind of drown out any sort of potential Haley win. Um, You know, unfortunately, I don't have the data to figure out who those crossover voters are um uh i guess we'll we'll see what kind of data i could acquire from the nevada republican party but um you know certainly we could figure out who everyone is that voted in the primary i mean every county maintains a a vote cast record basically where you can get a data of all the registered voters who who participated um and if we had any kind of similar data from the Republican Party, we could do a comparison and, and kind of figure out how many of them are crossover voters. But i um, not sure how likely that is at this point. Sean, sure, yeah.
2: maybe we could uh, maybe the Indy could pony up fifty five thousand dollars and we could get the data. What do you think?
1: <laughs> well, and I think the other point, too, is like I think. This is anecdotal, of course, but John, you were at the you were at the Gwynn Center event last night, and I think you tweeted out that you'd spoken with Assemblywoman Jill Dickman, who she's a Republican Assemblywoman up in northern Nevada. She was the she had voted in the primary, but then she showed up to caucus. And then said that she left because there were really long lines. And we saw throughout the caucus process, there were extraordinarily long lines. So even when we're talking about these crossover voters, you have to know that there might have been a higher turnout of the primary because people didn't want to wait in line to either submit their ballot and then leave or participate in the discussions that typically happen at a caucus.
0: Yeah, to some degree, how soon we forget how disastrous every caucus is, every cycle. Uh, I was here for the Indy for the 2020 Democratic Caucus. And uh, for those who don't remember, they were trying out this uh, new uh, uh, ranked choice deal. Um, that was, what a what a treat that was to try and figure out in real time. Everybody was figuring that out in real time. Um, okay, well, uh, we're still getting, okay, here we go. Uh, Tabitha, here's a question for you specifically. What was with the sea turtles and orca at Spanish Springs? Where is the story? Question mark exclamation point.
1: So I actually gonna email the school about this. It's on my to-do list today because I was at the Spanish Springs Elementary School in Washoe County. It's one of the larger caucus sites. I think there were 25 precincts represented. And where what happened is people were funneled through into this multi-purpose room that was kind of like a lunchroom, but also had a stage for an auditorium. And the theme of this was C, so there were like fish around and a giant orca was hanging from the ceiling along with a giant sea turtle. So if you followed me on Instagram, you saw this video. You also saw me um, talking about kind of how they were counting votes because we did get to watch the, that that process. I believe they are made out of styrofoam. We are still waiting to hear back from the school on that.
0: <laughs> we need confirmation. Um, all right, John, I know you have to leave in a few minutes. We will still keep recording. So if you're in the live stream, you can keep watching, keep asking questions. But John, before you go, I want to ask a couple sort of, uh, uh, you know, what happens next questions. Because for the Republicans, uh, I think a lot of attention was paid on Tuesday, certainly for, for Nikki Haley and sort of her strategy of not even just not investing in Nevada, but sort of aggressively ignoring Nevada, being mean about ignoring Nevada. Um, so how much of an error is, was it really, and I guess are we going to know before South Carolina how much of an error it was, but like for her to not try and win Nevada's primary, even if it was going to get her delegates, she she didn't do anything. So do we have a sense of like what those consequences might actually be?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of difficult to answer the hypothetical. Uh, my, my argument was that, you know, we're a cheap date for a minimal investment. She could have come here. Uh, done a rally or two and said, this, you know, this is where there's going to be big turnout. All the Republicans are going to come out. Donald Trump is chicken to face me among the entire Republican electorate. So he has had this caucus created and fixed so he can declare victory. Why is he afraid of me? I, I hope my supporters will come out and show some strength. Um, Do I think that means that she would have won the primary as opposed to losing to none of the above? Maybe. Uh, but I think she certainly would have cut into the margin, and she might have won, depending on on what happened. But now, what was the point of her, as you put it, being mean to Nevada and saying saying that saying that kind of stuff? What does she have to lose? Total long shot. Uh, it looks like Trump is going to crush her in South Carolina, but those polls can change. By the way, it's happened in Nevada. It looked like Hillary was going to crush Bernie Sanders, and then he came back after what happened in New Hampshire. These kinds of things. Do change and the narrative momentum is much more important to her at this point than amassing our 26 delegates. So I just think for a minimal investment of her time, she could have tr- at least tried and it might have helped her going into South Carolina. Instead, every national headline is none of the above. Nikki Haley, terrible for her. Oh, and-
0: yeah, just getting memed left and right. You were saying,
2: Sean?
4: And Jacob, yeah, if I can add to that, it's puzzling to me because Nevada is a critical battleground state in the general election. I mean, if she had any hopes of actually winning the nomination and competing in the general election, Nevada is a state that she would probably need to win in order to win a general election for president and win the Electoral College. So it makes no sense why she would go, um, you know, really to great lengths to continue to
0: piss off Nevada voters. Yeah, Nevada Republicans who would be sort of critical to getting her over the over the hump here. Okay, real quick, John, I wanted to ask you about the Democrats and I wanted to ask you about Joe Biden. 90% is not quite 96%, which is what he got in South Carolina is not quite 99%. Which is what Trump got in the caucus still 90%. I mean, voters in the democratic primary could still choose none of these candidates and only about five five and a half six percent chose none of these candidates so what do we make of biden's strength among democrats who ended up voting here compared with all of these polls so many polls in battleground states nationwide that show biden either weak in head-to-head matchups with trump or losing in nevada specifically um or just terrible approval ratings as i think he's the lowest approval rating of any president heading into a re- re-election maybe not ever but it's quite low so I, I mean how do we square these these two
2: numbers so i think sean alluded to this and i think it's very very uh it's it's just a fatal mistake that a lot of analysts make trying to compare the two universes that vote in a, in, in a very low turnout primary it was going to be a very high turnout uh a general election i i think what this shows and Biden coming here for a couple of days showed this, too, is they wanted to make him look as good as they possibly could and get a, a a good turnout. Now, good turnout is like, you know, a fifth of the voters and they and they and they got them out and the Democrats are bragging. You know, they put out a memo. We got our core groups out and all of that stuff. And and they're really hyping that. But. It does show that they can turn their voters out a limited number of their voters in a contest where 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 it's not really a contest. but i don't I don't think it tells us anything about the general election. I can tell you for sure, Jacob, that smart Democrats here are really, really worried about the general election here, not because they think Trump is winning by eight or ten points as the as some of these polls show, but, you know, he only lost by two and a half points the last two times he ran here. So, it, it they're worried about it being close they're worried about uh the you know what's what's going to happen with biden that his numbers are so bad as well and that he's hemorrhaging the base and so you didn't see that here but it's a completely different universe uh i do have to run but i just want to tell everybody jacob if you don't mind that this is uh, and and i know i sound like the proud father here this is the best team that has ever covered politics and campaigns and government in this state. I hope people uh, are listening and watching. Will follow all of you. Uh, we, we are gonna we are gonna be all over this election from a data viewpoint, from 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 dynamics uh, uh, of the election. So this this is the best team. So follow them.
0: Oh, I appreciate that john and I know you have to run, but we will be sticking around for about the next 15 minutes or so, so keep those questions coming. And if you want to see more of john head to uh, craft beer and wine at 530 tonight in Reno he'll be there, you can pepper him with even more questions. Um, sorry, southern Nevada listeners i'm i'm in southern Nevada I don't get to pepper him with questions I, I don't know what to do about that so. I guess uh let's I, Eric I want, I want to ask you because you've been talking to a bunch of voters and it does feel like some version of every story we've written in the last 2 weeks is uh we're looking towards the general the candidates are looking towards the general the campaigns are looking towards the general Nevada's looking towards the general because in the general will matter six electoral votes could be the difference right if only seven states are really battleground states so Eric, when you've been talking to voters or when you've been going to rallies, what is the sense that you get that people are looking forward to that general election matchup?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is, like you mentioned, everyone is paying attention to November, even the candidates themselves. I mean, Kamala Harris was here a couple of weekends ago, and um, I don't even know if she even mentioned the primary once in in race. Everyone has set their sights on November. Um, And the conversations that I have with voters are very much centered around Biden versus Trump. Um, People have almost universally, I mean, the Trump supporters I've spoken with have pretty universally panned almost everything there is to say about the Biden administration. Um, Same goes for Democrat voters and what another Trump administration could look like. Um, so it's. I think it's very much what we're seeing across the country in that it's pretty clear, um, barring really something unforeseen, um, that this will be the general election again. And I think the, the comments from the candidates and the action from the parties reflect that.
0: Yeah, I mean, just speaking, because uh, I was at uh, one of the most interesting conversations I had with a voter was actually at a Marianne Williamson event, believe it or not. And um, there was a guy there, and he is a Democrat, but he's like hyper frustrated with the party. He hates this sort of two party system. He's a big backer of the forward party, right, Andrew Yang's sort of not left, right, forward thing. and. um But he's still voting for Biden. He wants Biden to win. He hates the idea of another Trump presidency. And he was like, I asked him like, well, like, do you think Biden's doing a good job? And he was, he said to me, uh, you know, oh, Biden doesn't get enough credit, like no one ever gives him credit when he does things. So I think that there's lots of voters, sort of in this middle ground, who like, theoretically, like the Biden presidency, feel like it's done a lot of things. Um, But maybe they can't name him or they get like frustrated that people can't name them. But they're these sort of soft Biden voters, we'll call them, who are like, not, they're not showing up to Biden rallies. These are not the people who are going to every Kamala Harris event in Las Vegas. Um, and I think that those are the people that might, if Biden is going to win Nevada again, again, by, you know, whatever, what was it? Yeah, two and a half points he won in 2020. It's those sort of like on the margins, folks who only show up in presidential elections that they'll need, and that I'm not sure that they have right now. Um, okay. I also,
3: i I think, um, just to add on, like there is all but likely to that Trump and Biden will be the main candidates. But um, I was at a Robert F. Kennedy event um, a week ago, and um, there, those supporter his supporters, while he hasn't qualified for Nevada's ballot yet, his supporters are very much behind him, and it it stems from the distaste that they have for for Trump and Biden, and the the New York Times poll that I think John alluded to earlier. It found in October that twenty three percent of Nevadans um, would support Kennedy. Um, of course, that's st- still a ways out, and he still has to qualify for the ballot. Um, but it's it, there. There's a chance that it's not just two main candidates um, being on the ballot this year, as he could pose a, a as a he could be a formidable spoiler to either candidate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, a serious discussion out of the way. We have been getting some real incredible questions from the chat. Um, So we are going to start getting into those. And so now is as good a time as any to transition to the lightning round. You are a regular listener of our On the Trail podcast, which, by the way, this is being converted into an On the Trail episode, so you can catch it in your feed if you're not able to stay through the whole thing. The lightning round is where we stick all of the stories that we were thinking about that week. That uh, we just we just want to talk about. We just want to talk about that story that week. And so right now, um, you people have really sent us some some real questions uh, that we are going to just run through here as the live lightning round. And to start, um, this one might need some context. The Uh, Knuckles the Echidna Show uh, that is on Paramount+. Plus. If anyone's seen the trailer, it is very obviously set in Reno, um, which, incredible stuff. So I guess just to start, uh, what does everyone think of it being set in Reno? Tabitha, the resident Reno White, we'll start with you.
1: I mean, more movies should be set in Reno. Let's be honest. Let's give some love to the northern part of the state. Like, no shade to southern Nevada, but northern Nevada also has some... Phenomenal landscapes, wonderful things to do. There's a uh, nice weather here in both the summer and the winter. Um, so I just want to say that this, this to me is like, let's start breaking into Northern Nevada and and Las Vegas is not Nevada. Nevada is not Las Vegas, right?
0: Uh, sure. I guess you could make that argument. I'll say this. The most prominent part of that trailer is them blowing up the national bowling stadium, which if you're going to highlight Reno, I think just what a, what an incredible vibe.
1: I, I have nothing uh, to add to that. I'm not going to comment.
0: Okay, next question: uh, Which Nevada political figure, past or present, would you choose as the main character in an Oscar-worthy biopic, and who would play them? And we are allowed to choose ourselves. Sean, you get to start on this one. That's a that's a really tough question.
4: Um, I mean, I feel like Harry Reid is the easy pick for for a, a focus of the biopic, but I'm sure if you really went deep into Nevada history, there's a lot of like old Western figures you could pick out that would be you know a great focus like give me jg scrugum um go look him up one of the first yeah <laughs> he's quite a weird character um, absolutely out of the governors i don't know all right
0: tabitha quick i am pick. gonna
1: say barbara bennett she was actually reno's first female mayor she got involved in local politics as part of this northern nevada mobile homeowners association um this is at a time where like we're seeing a lot of problems with rent. And she was part of the rent control discussion. And she was not a candidate that anybody wanted her to win. And I just think she'd be a fascinating person to get a biopic of. And and yes, Harry Reid is a good choice. But come on, Barbara Bennett
0: is the easy choice. Uh, all right, Eric, we you, you have recently moved to Nevada, you haven't been here too long. So we're going to spring this on you. Who do you want a biopic about?
3: Yeah, my, my Nevada political his, his historical knowledge is admittedly not as good as the others on this call. So I will go for the, the de facto Harry Reid answer, but I will add that a good biopic has to have a good source material. So and there I heard that there may be a biography of, of Harry Reid being released at some point um, by someone who may or may not be affiliated with the Nevada Independent. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, it's all about it's all about the script.
0: Yeah. John's waiting on those movie options. Okay. Uh, I guess for me, uh, I want the biopic to be about the dude who was in charge of telegraphing the Nevada constitution during the civil war to Washington DC for the longest time. I I believe the most expensive telegraph ever sent in the world um, because it was so long. It was so long guys. Anyways, I want to know what that guy was up to. Uh, Moving on. Absolutely incredible stuff in the chat guys. If a vampire cop came to your door with a warrant, could they come in? Sean?
4: No, no. I I saw this one go in the chat and I'm adamant about this one. I mean, this is like an intrinsic trait to vampires that that they need permission to enter. So I don't think, you know, I don't think the kind of current constructs of our legal system today supersede that, you know, that inequality in vampires.
0: Okay. Tabitha, do you agree?
1: I agree with Sean. No way. Uh-uh. Um. Yeah, no, that that vampire would need to have some sort of permission to get in and the warrant doesn't that.
0: count wow all right eric are you gonna know f-
3: yeah i i will i will not go contrarian here i'll agree with with sean and tabitha i didn't even know the trade about vampires about permission to enter um but that is just even more even more reason i
4: absolutely. i will i <laughs> yeah. will add though jacob this could if this were true it could make for a great movie about a vampire who is a judge and so they issue warrants to to get entry into their victims' homes.
0: Wow! Someone make that screenplay. Um, all right, we're we're just gonna keep rolling here. Uh, can you comment on the evolution of John's facial hair—from mustache to goatee to full beard? When will he go full Santa, Sean? I mean, I think it's a good it's a good evolution.
4: I think um you know john is is rocking the beard so good for him um and you know what if he goes full santa like i'm I'm all for it i think just have fun with your facial hair do whatever you want with it you know
0: all right tabitha you're the arbiter of facial hair what would you what's your take
1: i do not think i can comment on this at all but i will just say that it's john's you know face he could do what he wants with it
0: a wise a wise choice tabitha eric um
3: yeah, I mean, as someone who cannot grow out a beard, I I applaud anyone who uses their facial hair to the to the maximum potential. So I'm all for it.
0: I'm in the same boat. So you, you and me. All right. Someone in the chat said Jacob is Liberace on the biopic thing. So I'm not I'm not gonna respond to that. Uh lightning question, and we'll end here. We have to stop. Oh wait, no, it wasn't someone. It was our producer, Joey. He's making fun of me. Anyways. Final question of the day. What does bubblegum ice cream even taste like? Let the children enjoy bubblegum ice cream. Sean, this is clearly directed at you. Please respond. Yeah.
4: I mean, I know it's squeaked through in that Henderson kids vote. Um, I've actually, I've had some information that I've, I've kept under wraps that I feel like I, I can oh, disclose here now. Is which a scoop? Is that We're getting a scoop. As a child, I used to really enjoy the bubblegum ice cream at Coldstone, which is like, almost neon blue color like it's kind of heinous but and i haven't had it probably in more than a decade but i i do remember really enjoying it so i i honestly cannot fault children too much for 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 sending that one through to the next
0: round of of the election Mm. Mm. tabitha eric any any ice cream takes i have
1: never eaten bubblegum ice cream it's always the most like it's the worst color it looks fake I just I can't do it even as a kid I couldn't do it so I just think they should have knocked it out because it looks like somebody dumped hazardous like toxic waste into ice cream and like that green goo that you see in the you know Scooby-Doo comic movies or whatever
0: yeah yeah
3: yeah I kind of class bubblegum in like the group of like birthday cake ice cream and cotton candy ice cream which I think has no place
0: being in ice cream (laughs) Unserious ice creams. Uh, I'll just say, I agree. That's my host privilege. All right, real last question. We will end it here after this. Everyone, who is winning the Super Bowl this Sunday in Las Vegas, Nevada? Sean. You are muted. You are muted. You've, you've messed come up to the there. Cardinals' Zoom sin. I, I have indeed. I'm going to go
4: Niners 38-35 over the Chiefs.
0: Bold, bold, the Brock purdy sons. Tabitha, where are you?
1: I'm going to go with Taylor Swift's boyfriend's team, right? Taylor Swift won the Grammy. Taylor Swift's boyfriend is going to win the Super Bowl. He'll make it into the NFL Hall of Fame. I don't even know what typical, like, scores in an NFL game are, so I'm not even going to guess the score. But, like, maybe we'll have, like, a five-point difference, and it's going to be a tight game. I I will say I was really, really hoping that the Lions would make it. And uh, when I found that out, I was like, well, I guess I'll root for Taylor Swift. When they found out that they didn't make it, I'll root for Taylor Swift's team.
0: I was also rooting for the Lions to make it, so now I'm just sort of adrift. Eric, who is winning the Super Bowl?
3: I will go Chiefs 24-20. Sean, you're really underestimating these teams' defenses. So I am, I am going more low-scoring.
4: It's in Vegas. It's gonna be a show, Eric. You know they're gonna be. This is gonna be electric football on Sunday night.
0: No, I'm with Eric on this one. I predict some absolutely disgusting, like Rams Patriots type Super Bowl. Like it's gonna be like 15 to 12. Like just a score that never happens. Just like uh, everyone will be sent to the shadow room for some reason. Look, this will this will be nuts. Or it'll be. You're right, Sean. Maybe it'll be 38 35, and we'll all go home happy. But... <laughs> Joey is in the chat yelling at us. He says 49ers score 49 points and win. He is obviously wrong. But that is where we will leave it for this episode of On the Trail. This was a stealth episode of On the Trail because it was a live stream. But if you want to listen to it, you can catch it on our podcast feed. You can listen to it wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on YouTube, no less. And that does it for this week's episode of On the Trail. Our show is produced and edited by Joey Lovato with additional help from Michelle Rendells, Callie Bernstein-Sailor, and Kristen Leonard. From the Nevada Independent, I'm Jacob Solis. We'll see you next week.